0: Hi everyone, and welcome to The Human Behind the Screen. And I'm your host, Shauna Morin. The ways in which we work and scale workforces are changing. No longer are we reliant on physical locations in order to operate as a business or a team. And this shift in building teams and companies is coming rapidly, and businesses are being forced to adapt to what they've always done for years. But what does this mean for the humans behind the screen? How do we bring back that human connection when we primarily work online? In this podcast we'll be speaking to leaders and experts all over the world to dissect what makes businesses successful at remote working. We'll be discussing the importance of human connection, emotional intelligence and relationships in an ever-changing virtual world. So hi, Chathri. Thank you so much for being here today. You're very welcome.
1: Thanks for having me. Great to be on. So tell me, where where are you based right now? Are you in Santa Monica? Yes. So today I'm dialing in from Santa Monica. Our headquarter office is here, basically because this is where our two co-founders, Mike Flynn and Oshina O'Connor, started the company. So we have a small little home base here in LA. Nice. What's the weather like there? Is it sunny? I mean you can't complain clear skies <laughs> <laughs> fantastic
0: brilliant so tell me a little bit about recharge i mean you you mentioned that that's where your co-founders are from and that's where your headquarters are based but you guys are a remote first company so what what you know was the decision making process
1: behind that yeah honestly it came out of necessity really 5 years ago when we started the company Our two co-founders made a strict decision on on staying bootstrapped for as long as they possibly could. So by being bootstrapped, that kind of meant that we couldn't hire, let's say, a developer at an LA price point, right, for a salary. So for us, you know, we had to get creative and and kind of break our boundaries in terms of where we were recruiting from. And so originally, we hired a couple contractors um, in South America. And, you know, these are some of the smartest minds in their respective countries like Brazil, Argentina, And, um, you know, we did it just to kind of get things off the ground, but it actually worked in terms of us getting along with them, having high productivity. And so what started out as a necessity actually became more of a mantra for us and becoming this remote first company. And so what started out as, you know, six, eight, 10 people slowly started to get more formalized. And that's exactly how we still recruit today.
0: I love that. I love the fact that you know you're not going to turn away talent based on on where they're located. And that's I think the big reason especially in e-commerce, why businesses want to go remote is because it's the opportunity, it's the international expansion that remote working can support. Mm-hmm. So tell me what is the the structure of the remote team at recharge today? How many people are you guys at now
1: because you've grown pretty fast, right? We have, yeah. It's been, you know, every year I get surprised. I, I've helped plan every single annual retreat that we've had the whole company attend. And the first one was 19 and the second one was 35. And then this last one this past year was 85 people. We're now 140 people across 10 countries. So I've watched, we've all watched, you know, from the co-founders and, um, you know, some of the folks in our leadership team have watched us, you know, double, triple and, and now, you know, we've learned so much at different parts in that growth, because each stage is so different. But um, for us, we've, we've definitely started to use different tools along the way, which I could get into, um, and certainly hit a couple speed bumps as we've grown. And um, at this point, at 140, it's working, and the intent is to continue to grow remotely, um, even as we continue to scale up.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because I I see that a lot of companies, you know, when they start and when you're at 19 people, even maybe 50 people, it's quite easy or easier to manage a remote team that are based across multiple different time zones. It's easy enough to organize that annual retreat. But what have mm-hmm. been some of those key lessons for you as a COO in scaling the team from 19 to 140 people?
1: Yeah, I would say there's three things. One is... The tools that we've used. Second is the processes that we've had to put into place, and third, um, even just related to processes, but I could zoom in on, is communication. So when it comes to tools, you know what used to work at 10, 15 people, you know certainly starts to break after you know 50 to 60 people. So an example of that is, you know, we used to use Gusto to pay everybody pretty quickly, get onboarded to Gusto, and that's just your payroll. Right. But then as you think about international team members, that became a little bit harder because we had to start to wire folks internationally and there's fees associated with that and trying to really figure out the balance behind what works and what doesn't work. And we eventually moved off of Gusto and the North American team, U.S. and Canada, we're now on a, a PEO, which a tool which is called Trinet. And so we do all of our payroll and benefits. A disbursement through Trinet, right? So that's one tool. Um, in addition, you know, we use Slack for day-to-day communication and Zoom for video communication with our teams. And that has not changed as we've grown. We still use the same tool, Slack and Zoom. Project management, we used to use Trello, which was great, you know, when you have a dev team of four people, right? Yeah. Like everybody has, <laughs> their, everybody has their their board and it's very clear what everyone's working on. You know, our engineering team is now over... 45 people, and that just you know, we broke the system essentially on, on Trello. So, we we migrated to we dabbled with target process at first, but then switched to Atlassian's uh, project management. So, um, it's called JIRA. I'm sure many of the folks who are listening in have heard of it. That's worked really well for us at scale uh, for project management across not only the developer teams, but even our CS team, people ops team, sales and marketing team. We use that to track what everyone's working on. And more importantly, we track our OKRs there, Shauna, in terms of you know, our quarterly goals, what are we all working towards? It's all housed in Jira. And then, you know, moving on to the next point of processes, Alaskan's other product, which is called Confluence, is actually where we have documented how we work at recharge. You know, GitHub is GitHub, GitLab, you know, they're famous for having created this massive playbook that's all documented in Confluence. We very much took some tips from them in terms of how to document not only, you know, here's what you need to know in your first week of recharge, here's, you know, for each team who does what, you know, what time zone they're located in, right? Because often when you start a new company as a remote company, you don't know where everyone's located. So that's kind of the, the tip sheet for a new hire. But even more importantly, it's how we do things. So for example, a sales team member, our scripts for different sales calls, you know, this is what you're supposed to be asking on a demo call, that's all documented and put in Confluence. So again, if you're a new team member, it's just increasingly easier to get onboarded and then get well-versed in how we work at Recharge. And so that's, that's the process side of things. And then third, with regard to communication, we have learned so much over the last few years. You know, it used to be, again, really easy to make announcements in Slack in a channel we call All Staff, where, you know, we'll we'll make an announcement. Let's say, okay, hey, everybody, the, the annual retreat is slotted for this particular date. Please hold the time. That no longer works at 140 people, because there's so many channels that have now spun up in recent years. And There's just more people. So there's just a lot more noise. So what we've learned is, you know, we really need to over communicate at recharge. And so for something like an announcement, we'll announce it in three places. One, Slack. Then, also on a town hall, we do bi weekly town halls, so we'll make the announcement there. And then, third, we'll send an email out with all the details, all the hyperlinks to you know, whatever Confluence page or Google Docs page. And you know, at that point, we've done our part, but even beyond that you know, we really encourage our team leads, our managers and team leads to also cascade that information to their team when they have their weekly standups, for example. So we've just learned that in order to have something stick, you need to over communicate.
0: Some great tips there, Chathri. Thanks for sharing. I think it's, it's interesting that you mentioned Slack as well. And a lot of companies are kind of mentioning how and exploring how slack and over communication in remote teams can lead to a lack of deep work right and people are over distracted mm-hmm. so i think your point on you know ensuring that managers are the gateway to that information so teams can have that deep work is really important did have you
1: guys had any experiences around that you know it's definitely a challenge i would i don't think we've figured it out to a science i will say a couple of things we've learned is you know, again, on the over-communication side of things, on Slack, you know, like I have someone who, I mean, my Slack right now who has an emoji up and is basically saying, I'm heads down, right? Like they have the headphones emoji and they're online and they're communicating with that green, you know, light that they're online and they're working. So we have that, you know, mutual trust that, okay, they're they're on. At the same time, they want that time block to focus on, you know, one particular project and they put that emoji up and that just, you know, uh, i guess an emoji can can equal a thousand words right so yeah. <laughs> um, in their case they're heads down with their headphones on and as a developer they're doing deep work likewise for myself something i've learned is i do a, a little bit on time boxing in my calendar so because we're remote and i'm i'm out and about you know people really rely on my calendar for example to figure out when they can get a hold of me so that being said if i don't block out time i will have like 11 calls on my calendar on any particular day. So I need also, you know, project work time and to deep think about strategy and, you know, maybe developing a new process, for example. So I've added a couple of project blocks to my calendar to help. So I'm not constantly, you know, sucked into the chatter on Slack.
0: I can imagine as a COO that's been challenging as you've gone, uh, you know, from nineteen to one hundred and forty and scaled so quickly. And from my conversations with other leaders and COOs and founders, it's you know how do they manage that themselves because they're only one person. Have you yeah. had any lessons other than time boxing, which I think is is mm-hmm. is really great that it's working for you? But have you had any other lessons around delegation, you know, best practices for you as a COO? when you've had that tremendous
1: growth so quickly? Yeah, you know, I actually have a leadership coach that I've been working with for the past year. She's great. She also has a podcast, I guess I could plug it. Um, Her name's Camille Joyce. And she's got an amazing podcast that I definitely recommend anyone checking out who maybe can't quite afford a leadership coach just yet, but she has really taken a lot of what she's worked on with multiple C-level leaders and, um, you know, put that as a content in her own podcast. But one of the things I learned from Keneal is, you know, the concept of whole body, yes. So she took a look at my calendar and said like, Wow. You know you have a lot going on here, and I said, yes, I do then um, she she almost did like an audit with myself and said, okay this this particular call, where it's one team meeting another team that I essentially have uh, roll up into myself as a leader, she's like do do you really need to be on that call or do you think they could handle that call without you on there? Do you need to be you know informed or consulted from the output of that call? In other words, you know, are you a whole body yes for this call or alternatively, could you just be informed after the fact with maybe like the top three to four bullet points of what you need to know, or just be informed on that things are moving forward. And I said, that's a really interesting concept, because there's definitely been a few recurring calls I've left on my calendar, just out of old habit, right? They were just on there when I perhaps owned a particular team, or led rather a particular team two years ago, I just simply still have that call in my calendar. So what I did and what I learned from Keneal is that concept of whole body yes and I went through each call and I said is this a whole body yes call yes or no? And if it's a no, then what I did was I transitioned off that call. I told the person running that call, you know what, for this this one week, I'm just going to be an observer. You guys run the call without me. I'm just, you know, I'll I'll chime in if I need to, otherwise I'm just going to be a fly on the wall and then slowly transitioned off that call. And that so far has worked really well.
0: That's amazing. And I think, you know, one of the the questions that I ask people in similar situations around time management is, you know, when you say yes to this meeting Mm -hmm. or this task, what are you saying no to? And, you know, oftentimes it's saying no to the biggest priorities on your list. But as you said, and I think it's a really good point, is when you're scaling so quickly, sometimes you need to really revisit what you're doing right Mm -hmm. because sometimes those meetings can just be in your calendar and you just kind of are going along with it right because it's just it's it's been there and it's normal but it's being deliberate about about your time and and where you can add the most value exactly well, I'm interested in hearing about, you mentioned annual retreats. And mm-hmm. I also watched an interview that you did around scaling teams and SaaS companies. So you mentioned that at the hiring stage, that you know, at the final stage of hiring a candidate, you'll bring them to the office in Santa Monica so they can meet with the team face-to-face. How important is face-to-face in the, the company culture of recharge?
1: Yeah, so in that talk, I actually uh, mentioned that we... You know, it was imperative in the first 50 hires that we flew folks to our head office in or headquarter office in Santa Monica. We've since changed that policy and kind of made it more of a case-by-case type situation. But just going back to the why behind we did that, um, it very much goes back to the culture. We are very, very hyper-focused on maintaining our culture as we scale. In you know, the first 50 hires, we you know, use that face-to-face time at the office to really get to know the person because, you know, you go from what's on paper, the resume to like a few calls and, you know, to really get to know a person, especially our CEO, Ashin, he really likes to dig into their, the candidate's personal ethos. How do they think about things? How do they show up at work? How do they make decisions, right? Like most candidates have their culture built into them as their own operating system, right? So we just need to unpack that. And the easiest way we've found to do that is to truly have them fly to LA and, 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 you know, for Ashin, for example, he'll go on a a 30 minute long walk with them around um, our area and just, you know, dig in a bit further. As we've scaled, what we've done is, you know, we've we've hired managers, we've hired vice presidents who now are the stewards of their own department's culture. And really they've been empowered to make these types of decisions um, where it makes sense to fly the person in or alternatively, you know, we can just make a gut decision after six zoom calls we know enough of a person we've done back channel references we are confident that they're a fit um, we now have that pretty much down to a science for a lot of our roles for example in the engineering department our customer success department So at this point, you know, the folks I'm seeing who are flying into not only L.A., uh, Shauna. we actually have a couple of hub offices now around North America, just based on where people are are distributed. We have one in Denver Mm -hmm. and one in Toronto. And, you know, we've definitely flown people into Toronto and Denver where it made sense um, to meet with the team there, get taken out to lunch. And that's been great. I would say that, yes, it's not sustainable as we continue to grow, but we still do it by on a case-by-case basis. And again, just to close the loop on this, culture-wise, we, for everyone we've flown in, we've actually said no to people who have flown in, even though we take that sunk cost of the flight, the hotel, and, and the transport, et cetera. Because you know what? At the end of the day, if we all, you know, collectively say, you know, this is a, a pass for us. We're actually saving money down the line because if you think about onboarding the person who's not a fit, you perhaps might have a time suck of, you know, 60 to 90 days figuring out that, you know what, our gut told us this wouldn't be a fit and now they're exiting the company. So frankly, it's, it's almost worth the time and the expense to figure out someone's a, a pass even.
0: Sure. Absolutely. I think that's super smart rather than, you know, potentially hiring the wrong person mm-hmm. and having to pay for it down the line. Right. So, I mean, I know uh, quite a few of the team at, at Recharge for my Shopify days yeah. and I have, I have to say they're, they're super enthusiastic and happy and they love what they do. And, uh, I think that's a testament to any good company culture is when you meet employees all over the world and, you know, they're singing uh, the praises of the company. So, I mean, how would you describe the culture at recharge and how has that changed? I mean, has it changed as you started to scale? Have you developed it in different ways?
1: You know, honestly, I think the tone was originally set by our two co-founders. They're both very humble people very low ego and very smart, actually. Uh, That's why we've gotten to where we've gotten. But because of that, that's really driven how we've hired and how we've created our, our, what we call our core values of ownership, empathy, and simple solutions. And so you know, we used to have six core values, but no one used to remember them back in the day. So we distilled yeah. we it down to three. And we've made it so that's actually how we hire. You know, we ask questions to really get, it. again, at the heart of the person, um, do they have the empathy, you know, to do the right thing for the customer, to do the right thing for their coworker, to do the right thing for an agency partner? And even just are they making the right decisions that if they don't have the direction if they don't have that gut check from their lead are they making the right decision right like that's where we're trying to empower our employees to do so ultimately just going back to you know where it all kind of came from it is that humility it is that low ego and so our culture now is really a culture focused on not only just being you know a good person but also really focused on the fact that we're still a high growth company and it's not comfortable. Mm -hmm. So we also hire for folks who are driven, you know, that in a remote environment, you really have to be a self-starter. So we look for that as we hire and that has not changed. Um, And just going back to your point about, you know, the folks that you know from Recharge, you know, there are, I know some of our mutual contacts who have been at the company for over five years and they still have that same drive. It's because as we've evolved, the opportunities evolved and we're just, we're not even close to being what I would call Done yet? Therefore, we're we're definitely not comfortable. And so, going back to how we hire, you know, we look for those core values, but we also look for that drive to make impact, to be adaptable, to also just drive velocity within the company.
0: Oh, I love that. Yeah, that is that is just fantastic. And it's a testament to you guys. You know, talk to me about empathy for you as a leader. How important has empathy been in scaling your team and, and ensuring that? The team around you were were effective leaders through empathy.
1: I would say it's been paramount to how we've scaled and hired and had leadership. So I mean, I could go into a couple of points. One is just being remote in general, you know you really have to have empathy for your your coworkers, your team members, things like time zone, you know, not slacking someone at. 5 a.m. their their local time zone or even 11 p.m. if you're still online and they're offline having that empathy to say you know what maybe there's another way I could approach this conversation because it it is a distraction right so mm-hmm. one solution we found is a great tool that Slack created which is a Slack bot right I, what I'll do for some of my team members in the East Coast is create a Slack bot you know at at Rob, <laughs> yeah. at Rob, let me know if you have a finalized agenda for such and such meetup. And then I'll send that reminder at, you know, 9am his local time. If he'll get that. I'll be offline. He'll respond, you know, when I'm online. So that's just empathy on communication. I would say empathy, you know, in regards to, um, again, like flock is a distraction. Like can, your question or your issue weight, for example. So, one of the things I've started to do more of with my team is collecting all these questions I have that maybe aren't as urgent and you know, really um, gathering them for my one-on-one conversation. I actually learned this from our CEO. That's what he does with myself. And so I've tried to do that more and more. So you, again, you create empathy by not distracting someone on Slack throughout the day for maybe a simple question that you could just bring up during a one-on-one at the end of the week. Mm -hmm. So that's another example of empathy. Also too, I would say, you know, we have empathy for our customers and our, our agency partners that we work with. Empathy comes to, customer support for example we're very crystal clear and we have been about how we communicate as a company you know for the last few years we did not have phone support we you know tried to create empathy for you know us not being able to scale that kind of team and you know we would tell people we're an email first organization what we did do is try to help a merchant get the answer they wanted within a certain amount of hours. So Mm. we have like essentially what's called an SLA service level agreement. You know, at this point, we'll try to get to your question within one business day. That being said, we've actually launched, you know, a few different support options where, you know what, if, if phone is what you need for your business, um, because maybe you're, you're a skilled company or even like live chat, We'll have people opt into that and, and perhaps pay a bit more to get that type of support. But that's us creating empathy for that merchant situation and where mm-hmm. they're at in their, the stage of their company. So, I mean, it goes not only internally for empathy, but also externally how you treat your customers and your partners um, and getting them what they need to do to, to move their business forward
0: love that and i think it it just shows that you know you guys have that strong empathetic culture internally which means you can best serve you know mm-hmm. external partners and clients fantastic so tell me a little bit about like the benefits that that you guys have um mm-hmm. what in particular i'm i'm interested in i've heard a lot of great things about is bonusly and the fact that you guys really promote recognition and
1: appreciation internally. How important has, has that been for you guys? It's been great. You know, in a remote environment, it actually really has been helpful to expose the best parts of our organization. So the way at Recharge we use Bonusly is um, when you want to reward someone um, with a few Bonusly points, you have to, you know use their handle. So in like the Rob bar example, you could say at Rob, um, thanks for throwing a, a great partner meetup in London, uh, hashtag ownership and it'll be like a 100 points. So it's required that we include a hashtag for one of our three core values or all three, frankly. And it showcases the person, What they did and how they reflected one of our three core values. And that's a public channel that everybody is in as um, 140 people. You know, you suddenly see maybe a person. I I actually was surprised by one of our customer success hires who was just outperforming the rest of his cohort and learned so much in his first 30 days. He was performing at the level of someone who'd been here for a year. And I only learned that from seeing all the praise he was given in Bonusly and all of a sudden that sparks my interest and the VP of CS's interest like, huh, maybe this person should be, um, you know, fast-tracked to perhaps, you know, joining a certain team in the next six months. And so that is, I would have never known that otherwise in a remote environment. So like Bonusly has been instrumental in us really showcasing the best performers on our team.
0: Yeah, I mean, for it to provide that level of visibility, you know, throughout the company is great, and then also the fact that you know you relate it back to the the values of the company because it's it's one thing creating values and behaviours, but it's another thing wiring and firing that on a daily basis, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yep, fantastic. Well, Chattery, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you today, and. I want to thank you for sharing all of your experiences um, and learnings along the way. If anybody listening wants to find out more about ReCharge or, you know, find out maybe what roles they're hiring for or connect with you, where can they go?
1: Yes, to connect with me, I'm absolutely open on LinkedIn. If you just drop me a message on how you heard about ReCharge, I'm totally open to going back and forth on LinkedIn message. Or I'm also on Twitter, just at Chathri. I was lucky enough to get my own handle in 2009. Uh, nice. So you can <laughs> find me there. And conversely, um, when it comes to opportunities at Recharge, it's just on rechargepayments.com. There's a, um, a link in our footer for careers. And we have a full page dedicated to how we work, Um, our benefits and perks, as well as all the current openings that we have across the world. And we'd be happy to chat with anyone who's listening. Nice. Thank you so much
0: again, Tathari. Thank you, Shana. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Human Behind the Screen. I hope that you found it beneficial and had lots of key takeaways from today's conversation. Head on over to iTunes and don't forget to subscribe and rate this podcast. If you do have any ideas or would like to advertise on this podcast, you can email us directly, a podcast at OperateRemote.com. If you want to learn even more from this podcast and check out the key themes that came up, you can check out our blog at www.OperateRemote.com forward slash blog. Thanks for listening and talk soon.